page 912, and then we'll open God's Word to Philippians 1. Page 912, I'm going to read Articles 1 through 4, the fifth main point of doctrine. Article 1, the regenerate not entirely free from sin. Those people whom God, according to his purpose, calls into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and regenerates by his Holy Spirit, He also sets free from the reign and slavery of sin, though in this life not entirely from the flesh and from the body of sin. Article 2. Hence, daily sins of weakness arise and blemishes cling to even the best works of God's people, giving them continual cause to humble themselves before God, to flee for refuge to Christ crucified, to put the flesh to death more and more by the spirit of supplication and by holy exercises of godliness, and to strain toward the goal of perfection until they are freed from this body of death and reign with the Lamb of God in heaven. Article 3, because of these remnants of sin dwelling in them and also because of the temptations of the world and Satan, those who have been converted could not remain standing in this grace if left to their own resources. But God is faithful, mercifully strengthening them in the grace once conferred on them and powerfully preserving them in it to the end. Article 4, Although that power of God strengthening and preserving true believers in grace is more than a match for the flesh, yet those converted are not always so activated and motivated by God in certain specific actions, they cannot, by their own fault, depart from the leading of grace, be led astray by the desires of the flesh, and give in to them. For this reason, they must constantly watch and pray that they may not be led into temptations. When they fail to do this, not only can they be carried away by the flesh, the world, and Satan into sins, even serious and outrageous ones, but also by God's just permission, they sometimes are so carried away. Witness the sad cases described in Scripture of David, Peter, and other saints falling into sins. Now please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read the verses 1 through 26, and we're focusing on verse 6. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. 
Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. So far, the reading of God's holy word. It sat there in the garage, beautifully made, good workmanship, but only half finished. The man who started the boat got sidetracked with other interests, and the project sat there incomplete covered in dust. It seems to be rather common for people to take up a project and then fail to see it through to completion. They leave the job half done. How many of you have a project in your garage or in your basement or around the house that you never managed to complete? Sometimes a job remains unfinished because we never find time to work on it. Or perhaps we begin something with great enthusiasm, but after a few weeks, the excitement wears off. Some people have a great plan in their mind, but the execution of that plan is another matter. Or perhaps our financial situation limits us. We haven't counted the cost before starting the tower, as Jesus said. There are many reasons why people leave things undone. Lack of time, money, skill, ambition, or lack of physical strength. 
If a man has a heart attack or a stroke or some other disease, he simply does not have the strength to finish the job that he has started. I knew a man who started an ambitious building project, but halfway through he had a massive heart attack, and the work came to a standstill. The lumber and drywall were there, but the project remained unfinished. Congregation, while people often leave a a job half done and incomplete, we learn from the scriptures that God is not like that. He never leaves a job half done. He perseveres. This morning, we want to consider the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. From this text, I want to direct your thoughts to three things. The meaning of perseverance, the objections to perseverance, and the comfort of perseverance. The fifth head of doctrine of the canons adored is entitled the perseverance of the saints. What do we mean when we speak of the perseverance of the saints? The biblical doctrine of perseverance asserts that true Christians shall never be cast away. They will continue to be God's children to the very end of their lives. They will never be lost. Those who are in Christ will always remain in Christ. Those who are adopted in his family shall never be expelled from his family. Those who are redeemed, pardoned, cleansed, and forgiven shall never be rejected. Those who are set on the road to heaven will never finally follow the road to hell. All who are the recipients of God's saving grace and justified by faith will be safe on the day of judgment. One writer stated it this way, Perseverance of the saints is that continuous operation of the Holy Spirit in the believer such that the work of grace began in the heart is continued and brought to completion so that the believer endures in the life of faith. Once you are truly born again and believe, you can never go to hell. If Christ is your Savior, He will always be your Savior. A true Christian cannot lose his salvation. Now look with me, please, to what the Apostle says in our text. Philippians 1.6 Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. In Acts 16... In obedience to a vision, the Apostle Paul left the Middle Eastern setting of Asia Minor and along with Silas, Timothy, and Luke, sailed for what is now called Europe. The first place that he stopped was the Roman colony of Philippi, where on the Sabbath day he met with a group of women at the riverside. He taught them the gospel, and a woman named Lydia was receptive to it. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. That was the beginning of a Christian church in the city of Philippi. Lydia and her household were baptized. But Paul's experiences in the city of Philippi were not all pleasant. He endured much opposition 
and even imprisonment for casting an evil spirit out of a slave girl. But even his imprisonment was used for the good of the church. For through it, the Philippian jailer was converted and baptized together with his family. This church had a rather humble beginning. But by the time Paul wrote this epistle, it had grown, and an organized body of believers, complete with elders and deacons, was established at Philippi. Paul was very close to this church. When you read this epistle, you discover that this church was very dear to his heart. Look with me in your Bibles to verse 3. Verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Every time he thought about these dear brothers and sisters, he gave thanks to God. He was deeply grateful for the work of grace that was clearly manifested in the life of this church. Go to verses 4 and 5. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. These people not only received the gospel, but they also had an active participation in spreading the gospel. They also supported Paul financially. You find that in chapter 4. They supported his missionary work from the moment of their conversion until the time that this epistle was written. They cared for his needs because they loved the apostle and because they were concerned about the advancement of the gospel. They had a true, genuine missionary zeal. As Paul thought about this church, he longed to be with them. Verse 8 says, have a look there, verse 8, For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. The congregation, I find that the one thing that really stands out in these verses is the statement of verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The apostle had confidence that the Philippian Christians would persevere till the end. His confidence was not so much in the Philippians, but his confidence was in the Lord God who preserves his people. God began a good work in them and God would complete it. Although Paul himself was the instrument of their conversion, he did not say to the Philippians, I began a good work in you. No. Even though Paul did a great work in Philippi, the real power behind it was God. It is his work from start to finish. It was God's sovereign power that brought them from death to life. It was by the mighty power of the Spirit that they were born again. It was the power of grace that delivered them from the kingdom of darkness, and the same power that transformed them would also preserve them. Brothers and sisters, when we speak of the perseverance of the saints, perhaps it is more appropriate to speak of the preservation of the saints. The term perseverance of the saints emphasizes the activity of the believer whereas the term preservation emphasizes the activity of the Lord. 
Believers are kept and guarded by God so that no one can snatch them out of his hand. The perseverance of the saints depends on the preservation of God. Article 3 of the fifth head of the canons rightly says, because of these remnants of sin dwelling in them, And also because of the temptations of the world and Satan, those who have been converted could not remain standing in in this grace if left to their own resources, if left to their own strength. You see, we are weak. Do you realize that this morning? We are weak. But the weakness of the flesh cannot prevail against the power of God, Article 4. Therefore, it is because God preserves his people that his people persevere in their love for him. Congregation of the Apostle Paul was confident that the Christians in Philippi would not fall from grace because the Lord who redeemed them would never, never let them go. If you're a Christian this morning, then you can have that same confidence with respect to yourself. If you were left to your own strength, none of you would complete the race. None of you would make it to the finish line. Not one would complete the Christian journey. The temptations of the world are too powerful. The enticements of the devil are too deceptive. The desires of the flesh are too attractive. Article 4 says we see that in the sad cases described in Scripture of David, Peter, and other saints falling into sins. You cannot persevere in this life unless the Lord God preserves you. And that's exactly what he promises to do for his sheep. In John 10, Jesus said, I give my sheep eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Your strength may be very little, your determination very feeble, your zeal very weak. But if you are in Christ Jesus, you have nothing to fear, for he is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. If God has given you the gift of faith, if the Holy Spirit dwells within, if the Son has died in your place, then you shall never be overthrown. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it. Your safety is based upon the faithfulness of God. Congregation, the preservation of the saints has been compared to the doctrine of providence the providence of God. One theologian said this, in the natural world, God not only created the universe, but he also upholds it. If God should withdraw his power for a second, the universe would go crashing back into non-existence. God creates and sustains the universe. The same is true of our spiritual life. God not only recreated us, but he keeps us alive spiritually every moment. 
If he should withdraw his Holy Spirit from us for a single moment, we too would instantly crash back to our natural, depraved natures. Brothers and sisters, even as the universe cannot exist without the sustaining power of God, so we cannot remain alive spiritually without the sustaining Spirit. When God upholds us by his Spirit, Nothing can separate us from his love. As Paul was confident that the Philippian Christians would persevere, so we can be fully assured today that those who are in Christ Jesus shall be protected, strengthened, kept, and finally, what? Brought home to glory. If you're born again by the Spirit of God, then you need not fear that you will ever fall from grace. Your confidence is not in yourself. He who called you by his grace will lead you in the Christian life and will certainly bring you home at last. God never begins a work that he does not determine to finish. But then secondly, having considered the meaning of perseverance, we want to go on to some of the objections to this biblical doctrine. Some objections. As wonderful as the preservation of the saints may be, there are some who do not accept it. There are some Arminian theologians who teach that, that a man who is truly born again can lose his faith and go to hell. A person may be saved one day and lost the next. A child of God one day and a child of the devil the next. Spiritually alive today and spiritually dead tomorrow. He can never know what his final state will be until the very end. Some of these theologians say, experience proves that some turn away from the faith. We all know people who made professions of faith, who worshiped faithfully on the Lord's Day, who read God's word and prayed, even served as elder or deacon, and yet they departed from the faith. They were genuine Christians, they say. But after a time, they wanted nothing to do with the church, neglected their Bible reading and prayer, and had no desire for Christian fellowship. Does not experience prove that perseverance of the saints is false? What about King Saul? Was he not truly saved? Did he not start off well, showing evidence of true faith? Did not the Spirit of God come upon him? Did he not prophesy? And what happened to Saul? He died in sin as one alienated from God. He perished on his own sword after having consulted the witch of Endor. Does this not prove that Christians can fall away? What about Demas in the New Testament? According to Colossians 4, he had been one of Paul's close associates. In the book of Philemon, Demas is called one of his fellow workers. He was very valuable to the apostle. But what happened to Demas? Children, do you know what happened to Demas? 2 Timothy 4.10 says, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. 
Demas left the Apostle Paul, left the work of the gospel, left the Christian faith, having loved this present world. Does this not prove that genuine Christians can be lost? Another objection that is commonly raised by Arminian theologians is this. The doctrine of the preservation of the saints will cause people to become careless. If you can never lose your salvation, then you can do whatever you want. You can embrace the pleasures of sin because you'll always be saved. You can eat, drink, and be merry because once you're a child of God, you're always a child of God. If you hold to this doctrine, you will create a church that is careless when it comes to the pursuit of holiness. You'll create a church that, that thinks they can have a license to sin. Furthermore, what do you do with the warnings in the epistle to the Hebrews? In Hebrews 6, we read of those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they fall away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. On the basis of this text, it is said that true Christians can fall away. Hebrews 6 proves it. Those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, that's a description of true believers, it is said. It is possible for genuine believers to reject all that they know to be true, good, and right and to fall from the state of justification. Those who have been born again can return to the kingdom of darkness and be forever lost. Well, congregation, what do we make of these arguments? Huh? How do we answer these objections to the doctrine of perseverance? Let's briefly have a look at them one at a time. Argument number one. Experience proves that some turn away from the faith. There are those who make a profession of faith and years later they forsake it altogether. For example, King Saul and Demas, Paul's fellow worker. This objection to the doctrine of perseverance is not difficult to answer. A person who makes a profession of faith and exhibits zeal for Christ and then turns away was perhaps never a genuine Christian in the first place. In the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4, Jesus spoke of seed that fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. The seed sprang up quickly, but soon withered and died under the scorching sun. Jesus said, these are people who hear the word and receive it with joy. There are outward signs of conversion, but their conversion is not genuine. Think of Judas, who preached the gospel performed miracles and worked alongside the other disciples. But Jesus declared that Judas was of the devil from the beginning. There are people who hear the message of the gospel, are emotionally affected, join the church, clean up their bad habits, and make some great changes in their life, and yet may not be true Christians at all. 
They may be baptized, sit at the Lord's table, participate in the work of the Lord, but they're not truly born again. The Apostle John said in 1 John 2, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. John acknowledged that some fell into apostasy, but he declared that they were not really of us. Their departure revealed that they were not true children of God. Not everyone in the church is necessarily a true Christian. So the apostasy of some does not prove the doctrine of perseverance to be false. Furthermore, when a person turns away from the faith, it is also possible that he is a true Christian who has backslidden, but who will repent of his sin and be restored. The doctrine of perseverance does not mean that Christians never fall into sin. Article 4 of the Canons reminds us that Christians sometimes fall shamefully and grievously. Think of how Noah fell into drunkenness. Consider how Abraham lied twice, saying Sarah was only his sister. Consider how David committed adultery and murder, or how Peter denied his Lord three times with an oath. The doctrine of perseverance does not mean that Christians are sinless. True believers do sin and sometimes backslide terribly. But if they are born again, if they are truly born again, they will not fall totally, finally, and completely. The Calvinistic preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon said that a Christian is like a man on board a ship who may be knocked down on the deck by the waves again and again, but he is never washed overboard. Someone else has said that a Christian is like a small boy climbing a snowy hill. He often slips, falls, and slides backward, but he does finally get to the top. A Christian may suffer many defeats and setbacks, but sin will not have dominion over him. Therefore, congregation, when you see someone depart from the faith, you're not to immediately conclude that the doctrine of perseverance is false. Rather, there are two possibilities. Number one, he never was a true Christian at all. Or number two, he is a true Christian who will repent of his sin and be restored. Like a tree in the winter, like a tree in the winter, he has no leaves for a time, but the life is still in the tree. Men like Abraham, Moses, David, and Peter fell into sin for a season, but they did not perish. They were not cast away. Well then, what about argument number two? The doctrine of, of the preservation of the saints will cause people to become careless and encourage ungodly living. Is that a legitimate concern? Certainly not. Anyone who uses this doctrine as an excuse to sin demonstrates that in all likelihood he's not a Christian at all. 
If a person uses this doctrine to live in willful sin, he has never rightly understood the cross and the grace of God. It is impossible for those who are born again to have such an attitude. When God begins a good work in someone, he will not use this great biblical doctrine as a license to sin. The perseverance of the saints is a perseverance in holiness. This doctrine does not produce licentiousness at all. Those who understand the goodness of God in preserving them have a desire to live a life of holiness out of gratitude to Him. As Article 2 says, we humble ourselves before God, put the flesh to death more and more, through the spirit of prayer and by holy exercises of godliness and strain toward the goal of perfection until we are freed from this body of death and reign with the Lamb of God in heaven. And then what about argument number three? The doctrine of the preservation of the saints is not consistent with the warnings given in Hebrews 6. What are we to make of those solemn warnings in Hebrews? Don't they teach that true Christians can fall away? A superficial reading of Hebrews could certainly lead to that conclusion. But as you study a passage like Hebrews 6, you need to keep in mind a basic rule of biblical hermeneutics, biblical interpretation. When two texts of Scripture seem to contradict... The interpretation that is in harmony with the totality of Scripture must prevail. One of the most important rules of hermeneutics is what has been called the analogy of faith. The analogy of faith is the rule that Scripture is to interpret Scripture. Scripture is to interpret Scripture. No part of Scripture can be interpreted in such a way as to render it in conflict with what is clearly taught elsewhere. If your interpretation of a verse goes against the clear teaching of the rest of Scripture, then your interpretation is wrong. In the case of Hebrews 6, the rest of Scripture is very clear regarding perseverance. Therefore, we must interpret Hebrews in light of what is plainly taught elsewhere. Hebrews 6 is certainly a strong warning about falling away. Every church member must heed that warning and be on guard. However, as you continue reading in Hebrews 6, it becomes clear that the falling away mentioned in verses 4 through 6 could never actually happen to true Christians. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says in verse 9. But beloved... We are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Hebrews 6 teaches us that there are those who can taste many spiritual privileges yet remain unbelievers. They taste the heavenly gift. They taste the good word of God and the power of the age to come. They have the appearance of faith but their faith is not genuine. Those who fall away may have been part of the covenant and church of God, 
but they were never true believers. If they lose their salvation, they were never saved to begin with. As it has been said with respect to salvation, if we have it, we never lose it. If we lose it, we never had it. If we have it, we never lose it. If we lose it, we never had it. So the arguments against this biblical doctrine do not stand. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it. Which brings us thirdly to the comfort of perseverance. The comfort. Those who fail to understand this great truth rob themselves and others of a tremendous comfort. What comfort can you have if you believe that you can fall from grace and be eternally lost? I once read a paper in which the author said that David's sins of adultery and murder caused him to lose his salvation. He not only lost the joy of his salvation, but he actually lost his salvation. The author said that David was clearly unsaved when in unrepentant sin. He went on to say, that David was saved again through repentance, but in his unrepentant state, he lost his salvation. Brothers and sisters, if that were the case, how many times in your life would you be lost and saved again? How many times would you be a child of the devil and a child of God again? How many times would you be born again and born again again? Your life would be like walking a tightrope, never knowing when you might slip and break your neck. Every day, every day you may lose your place in the kingdom of heaven. What a dismal existence that would be. But when we understand the biblical doctrine of preservation, then we can live in the joy of the Lord. We are kept by a great and gracious God who does not fail in his care for his people. We are kept so that all our problems and earthly trials cannot separate us from him. The devil and all his demons cannot drive us away. Our own sinful lusts and desires cannot separate us from him. God is more powerful than all demons, all trials, all temptations. And therefore, we can say with the apostle in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 18, And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Yes, there are times when we wander. But God always brings his children back. God caused David to see his sins so that he wrote Psalms 51 and 32. He confessed his sin, cried out to God for mercy, and received the assurance that he was right with him. The Lord also caused Peter to see his sin. God gave him a spirit of repentance and enabled him to rejoice in his marvelous preservation. 
In 1 Peter chapter 1, the apostle said this, listen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Now hear this. Who are kept by the power of God. Who are kept by the power of God. And then Peter went on to say, in this you greatly rejoice. Peter knew what it meant to be kept by the power of God. In Luke 22, verse 31, Jesus said to him, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Why did Peter persevere? Because the great intercessor prayed for him. His perseverance depended upon the prayers of the great high priest, Jesus Christ. Congregation, why can Christians be assured of their perseverance? Because nothing and no one can overthrow the plans of God. Those whom the Father chose before the foundation of the world. Those who are purchased by the blood of Jesus. Those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit will be kept till the end. The apostle said in the words of our text, He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. What is the day of Jesus Christ? What is the day of Jesus Christ there in our text? It's the day of his return in triumph, the day when he will be revealed in glory, the day when all things will be brought to completion. The Lord God will keep his people until that day. Dear friends, can you think of anything more profoundly comforting than that? Anything more uplifting? You are being prepared by God and preserved by God for the day of Jesus Christ. And on that day, he will make you absolutely perfect so that you will never slip again. When Christ returns, you will stand before him and receive the inheritance of the sons of God and the good work that he began in you will be completed. Therefore, when you become discouraged by your life, rest your confidence in him who is able to keep you from falling. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust your own strength. Trust him who has the power to deliver you from every evil work and preserve you for his heavenly kingdom. The great high priest is faithful. The savior of the sheep is faithful. Rest your hope and confidence in him, for he alone has the power to preserve you until the day of Jesus Christ. Congregation, what great hope this text offers to the people of God. You are being fashioned for the day of Jesus Christ. May we and our children be enriched by this amazing truth of Scripture. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. 
your trials may be many. Your burdens may be great. Your cross may be heavy. But if you are in Christ Jesus, your soul is safe forever. Are you in Him? Have you humbled yourself before the cross? Have you fled for refuge to Christ crucified? Then you will never, never, never be forsaken. Let us pray. Lord, we praise you for this comforting truth. We stumble and we blunder and we fall again and again and again. But what a tremendous comfort it is to know that you persevere in our lives. That the work that you have begun, you will bring to completion. May each and every one of us here, Lord, may we flee for refuge to Christ crucified. May we find our hope, our confidence, our assurance, not in ourselves, but in Him. So, Lord, may these great truths of Scripture also drive us to holiness. May we live a thankful life knowing that we serve such a great and faithful God. We thank you for our mediator. We thank you that he continues to make intercession for his people. We pray, O oh Lord, that each and every one of us may know him, love him, and live our lives daily with the awareness of his intercessory, intercessory ministry. So, Lord, keep us in your gracious care, and we offer these concluding songs to you that we may do so with all our heart. Full confidence in our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, as we conclude, we also want to thank you yet for bringing uh, Brother Jordan back from Mexico. Thank you for the time he could spend there. Thank you for the team. We pray, Lord, that each one may have, uh, have, had a, have been a blessing there and may also have received a blessing, and that, Lord, you will use them in a wonderful way to build your church, to advance your cause, to make the name of Christ known. Thank you for safe arrival here, and thank you that he can be with us here this morning. Bless our fellowship after this service. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.